Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality. Uh, today we're going to talk about a short 24-minute film that was released by the United States Air Force in 1997, uh, basically as a supplement to a report that they released in that same year called the Roswell Report, Case Closed. And uh, basically this is a propaganda film. It's fil filled with lies. Uh, it's filled with nonsense. And we're going to go through this uh, film. Now, uh, most of the images and stuff like that is basically archival footage uh, of basically balloons and, and crash test dummies and, and things like that. It's basically a narration I'm going to be critiquing here that you know, the, the narration never stops throughout the entire thing. So uh, for those who are listening to it on the podcast, uh, you're really not missing much. And if there's anything important uh, that is shown in the video, uh, I will say something and I will mention it. But uh, you, it's basically the narration I'm going to critique as we go through this film. I'll stop it here and there to talk about uh, different things that they're saying. And, uh, but anyway, let me just lay this whole, before we even get started here, I'll just lay this out. Now, <clears throat> by the early 1990s, there were a lot of different people who had uh, stepped forward and said that, you know, they were witnesses, basically. There were a lot of uh, first-hand, second-hand, and even some third-hand witnesses to the events that unfolded in the summer in July of 1947 in, the, in, the, in Roswell and uh, in the desert outside of Roswell. And with regard to the uh, crash saucer, you know, there was something that crashed in, in Roswell, outside of Roswell in 1947. There's no question about it. There's just so many witnesses. There's hundreds of first and second-hand witnesses that have been interviewed by different UFO researchers throughout the years. And, uh, and so by the late, by, excuse me, by the early 1990s, I mean, this was, you know, everyone was talking about it. You know, it started in 1978, but basically Jesse Marcel Sr. was uh, the top intelligence officer at Roswell Army Airfield back in 1947, as many of you know. And he was the one who first stepped forward. He told uh, the late uh, UFO researcher Stanton Friedman about uh, what he saw. You know, and he saw wreckage that he said was not from this world. And that was just the, the falling of the dom. That was the beginning of the dominoes starting to fall, because after that there were many books that were written. You know, after that, and uh, many different witnesses had stepped forward to tell their part of the story. And when you put all the pieces together, there's a story there. There's it's a cohesive story where uh, obviously there was a cover up by the United States. Uh, actually, at the, at the time, it wasn't the Air Force yet. It, it didn't become the Air Force until the following year, I believe, in 1948, uh, its own military branch, the United States Air Force. But at that time, the Air Force was part of the Army. It was a division of the Army. It was the United States Air Forces. Army, excuse me, the United States Army Air Forces. <clears throat> and uh, so by the early 1990s, there was a rep representative, uh, a congressman from New Mexico, Stephen Schiff, the late Stephen Schiff, and he was very interested in this, and he wanted to get information about this. He wanted to get all the documentation that the government had, that the Pentagon had, with regard to the Roswell crash and the recovery of an extraterrestrial craft and craft and alien bodies, uh, because he was convinced that something was going on, and he wanted information. And uh, so he, you know, requested this stuff. And uh, the Air Force came out with a book in 1994. They released a big, volu voluminous report. Uh, called the Roswell Report, Fact versus Fiction in the New Mexico Desert. And basically that book is what explained, uh, according to the Air Force, that what was really, uh, what really happened in Roswell was it was a top secret 
balloon called uh, as part of this uh, project called Project Mogul. Uh, so basically what happened is this. In 1947, uh, the Army, the United States Army Air Forces initially stated that they had recovered a flying disc. And then at, on that, about five hours later on that same day, they said, no, no, it was just a weather balloon. And then in 1994, they said, oh, God, no, it, wasn't, it wasn't just any old weather balloon. It was uh, a balloon from this thing called, pro as part of this program called Project Mogul, right? And, uh, and that uh, people were just, they, they made a mistake. Now, in that 1994 report, they didn't say anything about alien bodies. Or didn't, they didn't uh, try to provide any explanation for that. Although there were many different people who reported this. I mean, there were many different witnesses. A lot of witnesses, by the way, talked about all of this stuff. You know, so a lot of them were, were deathbed confessions. And then in 1995, uh, the, the General Accounting Office for the United States actually came forward and said, stated that uh, there was no... Um, they could find no documentation whatsoever with, with uh, from Roswell from that period. I mean, at that time, Roswell Army Airfield, that was the, the home of the lone, the 509th bomb group. It was basically the only place in the world where there was nuclear, or excuse me, atomic bombs. And, you know, and they have no records. In, in fact, here's uh, uh, from Roswell, the ultimate cold case closed uh, by Thomas Carey and Donald Schmidt. They wrote this book. Uh, this was really. This was. Uh, they wrote numerous books, and this was their latest book, their most updated book. This was uh, published in 2020. I talk about this book a lot, among other books about Roswell, of course, on my podcast on a regular basis. But uh, here's from page 146 and 147 where they talk about uh, what happened with this uh, when when Schiff, you know, he requested this. The, the General Accounting Office of the United States to, you know, get all this documentation. And guess what? All of it was destroyed. Uh, according to this, it says, uh, uh, let me, let me, for, uh, yeah, this is from page 146. It says, the re, uh, and they're talk, he talks, they, uh, they talk about the report here, the one uh, that the G, GAO, the General Accounting Office, had released. And they, they came out a report, with a report in 1995, and they called it, it was called Result of a search for records concerning the 1947 crash near Roswell, New Mexico. And it did not manage to establish one dramatic defense for the Air Force's original claim of not possessing any Roswell files. They had all been they had all been destroyed, according to the General Accounting Office. So all the records from Roswell from that time period were all gone. It says here, according to the GAO report, all Roswell Army Airfield records from the crucial period in question had been inexplicably eliminated these included roswell army air force administrative excuse me roswell army airfield administrative records from march 1945 through december 1949 as well as outgoing messages from october 1946 through December 1949. And Schiff said about this, he said, it is my understanding that these outgoing messages were permanent records which should never have been destroyed. The GAO could not identify who destroyed the messages or why. 
we are left to believe and accept that the first and only atomic bomb base in the world in 1947 existed in a vacuum and important document and important documentation pertaining to its daily functioning and exercises in the defense of our country were, were of no historic or strategic value and were casually discarded if such records were destroyed or more likely hidden away yet still preserved at some secret location to prevent access by prying eyes what could the air force possibly be hiding Coincidence, especially in government affairs, is a non-starter, and to justify that such sensitive records were just accidentally destroyed is beyond belief. And Schiff didn't believe it, and Schiff didn't believe it either. The GAO report concluded the debate over who over what crashed at Roswell continues, despite what the Air Force says. Okay, now that's just a segment from that book. And that's and I, I list these a lot of different books in every books that i recommend and that's one of them i always list them in the <clears throat> in the descriptions for all my podcasts and all my youtube videos i always have a listing of some books that i think are very important and this book here roswell the ultimate cold case close is definitely one of my favorites and it has a lot of great information in there and i will uh, be referring to it a little bit later as well as we go through this uh film from 1997 or yeah 1997 so uh you know, so that's the, that, that's what happened. So then, uh, in 1997, they re, the Air Force released this Roswell report, case closed, and basically this was the 50th anniversary of uh, the Roswell incident, and uh, they wanted to you know talk about you know give give an explanation for what these bodies were. That was the main aspect of that was the main reason for the release of this book and and also this uh, this video that they made as a supplement to it. You know, basically for the press. But all of this stuff, there's no, you know, you have to look at this. And remember, the Air Force basically had no documentation whatsoever. They had nothing to go on. Everything was, quote, destroyed, right, end quote. Now, I don't believe that. I believe that they these documents, whatever they had from Roswell was at some point, right, had to be turned over to the uh, secret control group. There's just no doubt in my mind about this. It had to be, right? There's no way they would throw out that kind of, info, that kind of documentation, there most certainly has to be records of what happened at Roswell, and you know the other funny thing about all of this about what the you know the, the, the you know a lot of the the funny thing about this for one thing the mainstream media bought all of this stuff at the time hook line and sinker, you know when in 1997 when when uh, this this book came out this Roswell report case closed when the Air Force released that uh, doc that document they gave me I got a, I was working at a newspaper here a local newspaper in this area where I live right now. And I was able to get a copy, copy of it for free. I actually still have it. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later on. But, uh, and, and the mainstream media, they just bought it hook, line, and sinker. And then everyone just moved on. But it's so ridiculous. They didn't even, they, you know, the Air Force had no witnesses. They had no witnesses on their side whatsoever. Uh, there was one guy that they had. He's really not a witness. He was this one guy, Charles B. Moore, which I'll talk about a little later. This one guy who worked on Project Mogul, they had him, and he just was going towing their line for them, obviously, making some stuff up, and I could, I'll, I'll, show, I'll explain that later on, too. But they didn't have any witnesses on, on their side, and there's hundreds of these other witnesses on the other side that say, no, no, something crashed there. It wasn't a balloon. There's no way it was a balloon. I mean, by this point in, in the 90s, in the, you know, uh, Jesse Marcel Sr., who was the first guy to step forward, he was dead. He died in the, in the mid-'80s. So, uh, so by this time, he was already gone. But he made statements. His son, Jesse Marcel Jr., uh, 
he made he 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 saw some of the wreckage. He 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 handled some of the stuff. He said the same kind of things. There's all these different witnesses that saw saw either the wreckage, handled some of the wreckage. You know, new family members that dealt with with the Air Force or or you know, handled some of the wreckage. Them or, or, or they handled some of the wreckage or saw some of the bodies. There's a lot of deathbed confessions. The Air Force had none of this. They they had nobody on their side to say, yeah, we this is the we found a balloon and that's all it was. And again, Jesse Marcel was the top intelligence officer at the Roswell Army Air Base. And, and, uh, and he said, uh, you know, when he was interviewed in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, he said on several different interviews that, you know, that's, you know, he, it was whatever he handled was not of this earth. Okay, we'll just, I'll just play a little clip here before we get into the Air Force video. We'll play this little clip here from uh, what Jesse Marcel Sr. said back in the day you couldn't even bend it you couldn't bend it even with a sledgehammer would bounce off it so i knew that i had never seen anything like that before and as of as of now i don't know what it was it was not anything from this earth that i'm quite sure of because i was being an intelligence officer i was familiar with just about every, all materials used in aircraft and in our air travel this was nothing like that it could not be it could not have been so there you go. You see what he said. Uh, I mean, I mean, he would have known. He would have known. He's saying what he handled, the materials that he handled. Uh, you know, he found them on a on that Foster. You know, he was on the Foster Ranch, uh, where he found that that was about seventy five miles northwest of Roswell. Uh, Mac Brazel, a rancher, had found this material on his ranch that he didn't know what it was, so he reported it to the local sheriff in Roswell, seventy five miles away. And then the sheriff told him, you better go tell the Air Force about it. So the Air Force sends Marcel and a couple other guys out there. They follow uh, uh, this Mac Brazel out to this ranch. And then they find all this material over this large area. that, And they, they couldn't explain it. it. It had like metal kind of looked like really thin metal that, you know, when you, you would... Uh, no thicker than, according to Mar Marcel, it was no thicker than the than the tin foil in the in the pack of a cigarettes. But you couldn't bend it or break it. And then there was other strange stuff that when you crumbled it up, like it was like metal, but it would straighten right back out like water. It was just unearthly. So, but but the Air Force tries to make everyone believe that it was Project Mog. This uh, balloons, these weather-like balloons for this Project Mogul, for this, basically it was used to spy on uh, the Soviet Union to see if they were testing atomic bombs. They would send these balloons up in the air uh, as part of Project Mogul, and they would have a radio device on it, and they would try to capture signals uh, from the Soviet Union that would tell them that, oh, they have an atomic bomb. They've, they've come up with their own atomic bomb now. <clears throat> anyway, let's start looking at this film, and I'll uh, we'll, we'll talk about it as we go through it. It's actually, and you, you could find, I'll leave the link for this. It's actually from the National Archives at nationalarchives.gov, and it, there's a YouTube channel where you could, you could watch it. The Roswell Reports. An event popularly known as the Roswell Incident has recently been the subject of intense interest by both the media and a curious general public. In recent years, numerous speculative books, magazine articles, television programs, a made-for-TV movie, two UFO museums, fraudulent documents, and even an alien autopsy film 
have emerged to exploit the media fascination with the Roswell incident. The story has even gained international attention. Despite the vested interest and questionable credibility of all sources involved in generating the media hype, the U.S. Air Force is routinely accused of concealing a deep, dark secret from the American people. In early 1994, New Mexico Congressman Stephen Schiff requested the General Accounting Office initiate a records review. The purpose of this review was to determine if the U.S. Air Force or any other U.S. government agency possessed information on an alleged crash near Roswell, New Mexico in July 1947 of an extraterrestrial vehicle and its alien crew. In response to the GAO probe, the Secretary of the Air Force directed a comprehensive search for records. The objective of this search was to tell the Congress and the American people what the Air Force knew about the 1947 Roswell claims. If the information was still classified, it was to be declassified. If active or former Air Force officials had signed non-disclosure agreements, they were to be released from these agreements. The resulting 800-page report was completed in July 1994. The report concluded that the predecessor to the U.S. Air Force, the U.S. Army Air Forces, did recover material near Roswell in July 1947. What was recovered was not the remains of an extraterrestrial spacecraft and its alien crew, but debris from a then-classified Army Air Forces research project codenamed Mogul. Begun in 1946, Project Mogul was a top-secret attempt to acoustically detect suspected Soviet nuclear explosions and ballistic missile launches. The project was accorded the highest priority because it addressed the most important post-war national defense concern, development of an early warning system to prevent a devastating surprise attack. Mogul used an odd assortment of naval acoustical sensors, radar reflecting targets, nylon fibers, and other equipment carried aloft by a train of weather balloons extending over 600 feet. Claims that the U.S. Army Air Forces recovered a flying disc near Roswell in 1947 were based primarily on a misidentification of the radar targets, a standard element of weather equipment adapted for use on the long mogul balloon train. In okay, let's just stop there for a second. Now, that's absolutely ridiculous. What they're showing there is pictures of balloons with these radar reflectors on them, basically these, uh, these you know, aluminum foil, metal foil wrapped around these uh, triangular looking objects on the bottom of, of hanging on a string hang that, that's lifted up by a balloon. I mean, they're easily identifiable. How, how in God's name could the, uh, the top intelligence official in Roswell, along with the hundreds of other people and other pe witnesses that had handled some of this debris, not know the difference? right between this kind of stuff and another thing to keep in mind is that a lot of these balloons even mogul balloons right had fallen all over different ranches and different on, on civilian property or you know over the you know th there's been research that's been conducted by like 
people like Don Schmidt and, and Thomas Carey who looked into these kind of things and talked to different witnesses, they would find these things. They would know that they were balloons. They would contact the Army, or, uh, the Army Air Force, and the Army Air Force would come and grab them and take them away, and that was it. It wasn't a big deal. Nobody was getting threatened like when the, with the Roswell incident. There were a lot of people during the Roswell incident who were told if they don't, if they don't keep their mouth shut about what they saw, then, hey, they might be picking your bones out of the sand. There was uh, one witness, uh, a, a woman, the daughter, actually, uh, Frankie Rao, her, uh, Frankie Rao, her name was. She was the daughter of the local uh, fire chief, uh, uh, Dan Dwyer, uh, in the Roswell area, and she, you know, testified that you know that there was army officials came there, came there to her home, and they threatened everyone in her in the household. Hey, you're not supposed to talk about this, and if you do, you know, this is a, it's a big desert out there, and you know they'll be picking your body, your bones out of the sand. Anyway, let's continue with this ridiculous film. June 1947, the oddly constructed radar targets were found by a local rancher who later reported the equipment as a flying disc. Following some initial confusion at Roswell Army Airfield, the flying disc debris, aluminum foil, rubber, paper, and sticks, was identified by Army Air Force officials as remnants of radar targets and weather balloons. Okay, let's just stop there. Now they're showing pictures of jesse marcel senior along with some other officials like uh thomas ramey uh, who was a commander over uh marcel you know in an office that those famous images of them kneeling down by obvious remnants of a weather balloon of a you know that's what it is it's a weather balloon and you know marcel said later on you know when he talked about this later on he when he actually brought some of those remnants to uh to ramey after this incident he flew them to him and when he got there uh ramey told him hey you're not supposed to say anything we're going to meet with the press right now and just go you know go along with my lead and they went into a room and that the stuff that he brought was now no longer there and instead it was replaced by obvious remnants from a balloon and <laughs> marcel was ordered basically to, to take you know to pose with uh these with this balloon wreckage right for this balloon debris so this was all a lie all of this stuff was a lie. Everything that the Air Force, right off the bat, I mean, they're lying about this. They t and so Marcel had a deal. You know, he had you know internal internalized this for the next thirty plus years until he finally came clean and told Stan Friedman, "No, that was that was a cover up. You know, I, that's that wasn't the stuff that we found there. They they made me pose with that balloon, with that balloon stuff, that balloon wreckage." With the positive identification by the Army Air Forces of the debris recovered by the rancher. Events that occurred in 1947 were officially resolved and largely forgotten. Okay, let's just stop there. Okay, largely forgotten, yeah. If you were one of the witnesses there, how could you ever forget something like that? How could you forget handling obvious material that must have come from a outer space somewhere from from obvious alien technology how could anyone ever forget alien bodies or actually one of them apparently one of the aliens at this uh during this survived and we'll get into that later too okay now they're going to get into the next segment here called and it's called alien bodies and the roswell incident this is where it really gets crazy and this is where uh, you know as i cannot believe that the press never tried to dig deeper into this i mean how could they the air force this is such an insult to intelligence it's it's beyond the pale. Anyway, let's continue with the film. Initially, the Roswell incident consisted only of accounts of the recovery of a flying disc. In 1947, there were no claims of alien bodies associated with the Roswell incident. 
The recovery of alien bodies became part of the Roswell story during the late 1970s, with other claims being made in the 1980s and 1990s. These later-day revisions to the Roswell story were often based on anecdotal accounts from second- and third-hand witnesses collected by UFO enthusiasts 40 or more years after the actual event. The same anecdotal accounts that refer to bodies also describe large-scale field operations conducted by U.S. military personnel using an assortment of military vehicles and aircraft to recover crashed debris supposedly from an extraterrestrial spaceship. Military personnel were allegedly led by an angry, red-headed captain threatening those who witnessed the operation with imprisonment or death if they revealed what they observed. The popular Roswell story contends that the bodies, once recovered, were allegedly transported under tight security to the base hospital at Roswell Army Airfield for autopsy. At the hospital... Okay, let's stop there for a second. Now, <laughs> a whole bunch of stuff here they're saying. Now, they're saying no bodies were reported in 1947, and that stuff wasn't... Nobody talked about that until the 70s, 80s, and 90s. <laughs> of course nobody talked about it. And then they say all oh, most of it's come from second- and third-hand witnesses. Okay, it's 30, 40 years after the event now. A lot of these people that were involved in this back then were dead. So, yeah, some of the, a lot of these things were deathbed confessions, but to say that, oh, nobody talked about it in 1947, how could they? They were all threatened. They were, people were threatened. People were threatened with death if they were to talk about it. So this is so, and, and the Air Force, they never offered any evidence that there's no evidence in any of these books, right, that shows that, oh, no, nothing, none of this stuff that these people say happened. They have no witnesses. They have no documentation because it's either destroyed or hidden, probably hidden with the secret control group or Majestic 12, whatever. It's unbelievable. And, yeah, there were people that said that there was this redheaded captain that was yelling at people. Well, there was the mortician Glenn Dennis who said he, well, somebody yelled at him that with red hair and threatened them and i believe actually frankie rao might have been the same guy uh anyway let's continue with this ridiculous film the angry red-headed captain was again allegedly observed threatening civilians following the purported autopsies the alien bodies were supposedly transported to wright field ohio now wright patterson air force base for further processing and storage this summarizes the Roswell incident scenario as presented by UFO enthusiasts. On the surface, this explanation may appear plausible to some. However, things are not always as they appear. Yeah, okay. It may appear plausible. It actually appears way more plausible than anything the Air Force has ever put forward. They don't have any records. Nothing. They have no records. They're just saying this. That whole Project Mogul, that was just a guess, right? Because they don't have... Where's their records for that? From 1947 that, say, that show that it was project that it was a top-secret balloon, right? They don't even have any records for that. That was all made up. And we'll talk about that later. We'll get into that later, and I'll show you how they made it up and when they made it up. The reports of bodies were only briefly discussed in the 1994 Air Force report because the search for records from 1947, the year of the alleged incident, did not yield any data to support a 1947 claim of alien bodies. However, following the release of the 1994 report, additional research uncovered information which explains some of the claims of alien bodies associated with the Roswell incident. From the additional research, a second report was written which critically examined the anecdotal claims and descriptions of flying saucers, 
aliens, and reports of unusual Air Force activities in the New Mexico desert. This in-depth examination revealed that many of these claims were reasonably accurate descriptions of Air Force activities. Some of the claims that refer to bodies are most likely misperceptions by uninformed persons of unclassified and widely publicized Air Force scientific achievements of the 1950s. However, other descriptions of bodies appear to be exploitation of Air Force members killed or injured in the line of duty. Okay, they, right, right there now, they're, they're, when they're talking about the exploitation of, of service members killed in the line of duty, they're showing somebody being uh, in a casket, you know, obviously a service member who has been killed somehow, wrapped in a flag and being carried by other officers. Okay, now that's just something to try to make people feel terrible okay now so so they're trying to basically tell you in this in this video and also in their book that they released that year that what they what people were seeing were uh they're, they're going to get into it deeper here but in addition to dummies some of the things that people saw were actually people who were injured like air like pilots and stuff who were injured and their faces were all swollen up or something after a crash and they mistook them for for aliens which is absolutely absurd in fact and the one one, one case they're talking about here happened in 1959 which is 12 years after the event and as for the anthropomorphic dummies that people that, that they try to say people saw right that that those experiments with those dummies happened from 1953 to 1959 and not even in the roswell area not in that area where the, where this incident happened so it's absolutely they, they, it was all made up i just want to point out also see that that first book that was released in 1994 fact versus fiction in the new mexico desert it was written by uh, Richard Weaver, who, according to Stan Friedman, was a disinformation agent for the government, and uh, Captain James McAndrew. Now, James McAndrew was, he put this second uh, book together in 1997. He was the one uh, who, who collected all the information for this. He just dreamed this up, just like the whole, they, just like the Air Force dreamed up that Project Mogul excuse, right? Right? Just like they dreamed that up, right? They dreamed up the, the McAndrew. James McAndrew, the cap, Captain James McAndrew, he dreamed this whole dummy thing up. He just, he's, he was sitting around basically thinking, it must have been dummies they saw. And then he just put this big report together to, as, as an excuse to try to explain away what people actually saw back then. It's unbelievable. And the press, again, back then, on all these years, they never questioned it. They never questioned it. It's unreal. Anyway, let's continue with this other, with this ridiculous film. The following are the five main conclusions contained in the second report. Research reveals that actual U.S. military operations, widely separated by time, geographical location, and purpose, have been misinterpreted or deliberately misrepresented. These misrepresentations collectively created what is known as the Roswell Incident. UFO proponents failed to establish accurate dates of reported eyewitness accounts, in some instances by more than a decade. <laughs> Let me just stop there and laugh. Let me, it's, it's unbelievable. So they're saying that, that the, they're saying that we can't, that people that were witnesses weren't able to come up with the actual dates and they, and they made a mistake by more than a decade in some cases. That's absolutely absurd. How could anybody possibly believe that? But the press never, the press let them get away with it. Anyway, let's continue. In addition, they erroneously linked all these accounts to the actual 1947 recovery of Project Mogul equipment. Eventually, these misrepresentations transformed a series of verifiable Air Force activities 
into what some have described as the extraterrestrial event of the millennium. Reports of aliens in the New Mexico desert were actually anthropomorphic test dummies that were carried aloft by Air Force high-altitude research balloons. Critical examination of alleged alien sightings consistently matched the physical characteristics of these dummies as well as where and how they were used. Vince, that new dummy cam is great. Yeah, it'll sure give people a whole new outlook on what it's like when you don't wear a safety belt. Okay, now what they're showing here are these commercials that you know, were around back then in, in the 90s. Uh, with the crash test dummies like that show what happens to people if they don't wear seatbelts. I mean, this is, again, to try to basically stigmatize this whole thing that if you believe in this whole Roswell incident stuff, well, then you're a dummy like these kind of people. That's another thing that, that, that the, the Air Force uh, really tried to do here. It was basically, uh, you know, stigmatizing the entire thing, too, but we'll continue. <laughs> They'll get the picture. You could learn a lot from a dummy. Buckle your safety belt. Anthropomorphic dummies, also known as crash test dummies, are today easily identifiable and are even stars of their own successful auto safety advertising campaign. However, during the 1950s, public awareness was still decades away for these important scientific tools. From 1953 to 1959, anthropomorphic dummies were used by the U.S. Air Force Aeromedical Laboratory in projects High Dive and Excelsior. The project's main objective was to study methods for returning a pilot or astronaut safely to Earth by parachute if forced to eject at extremely high altitudes. For these tests, dummies were transported up to 98,000 feet by high-altitude balloons. Yeah, they're the showing balloons were going way up in the sky. Period, during which body movements and escape equipment performance were recorded by a variety of instruments. Many of the dummies landed outside the confines of military reservations and were regularly observed by local civilians. Following a series of dummy tests, a human subject Air Force test pilot Captain Joseph W. Kittinger, Jr., now a retired colonel, made three bailouts from high-altitude balloons. These and other aeromedical projects that used both dummies and human test subjects were unclassified and widely publicized in the press and other media. Okay, let's just stop here for a second. This is absolutely absurd. I mean, we just think about what they're, what they're saying here. So... The Roswell incident happened in 1947. So, but people made a mistake, and what they—they're remembering dummies that they saw falling from the sky. They look like mannequins, and, and mannequins were around a long time, right? That's what they look like. They're easily identifiable, right? Easily identifiable. Uh, but the Air Force is trying to tell you that these people made a mistake. They—they had—they uh, made a mistake with the time periods, and they made a mistake. They, the people who who saw alien bodies, which and the circumstances of these alien bodies. <laughs> 
that the people saw them on there. They, they weren't even allowed. There, a lot of these people, the witnesses that actually saw the, the the bodies, right, were not allowed to see them. They were allowed. Some of these were people that were like uh, told they had a guard, a hanger, or something like that. But they saw the the bodies inside, and it has nothing to do with this. This is just all made up, bogus nonsense. And yet again, like I said before, the the Air Force. Well, here's what I just want to make clear here too. There's something I don't think I said here. You know, I, I think in, by 1997, this was completely out of the hands of the Air Force. I don't believe that the Air Force has anything to, by, especially by that point, you know, that was 50 years out uh, of the Roswell incident. The Air Force, the Army, I don't think any of those those branches of the United States government had anything to do anymore with what happened with, with, with aliens, with recovery, uh, recovering alien craft or alien bodies. I don't think, I, that, that's the secret control group majestic 12 whatever it's called who knows right there has to be a secret control group that's in charge and so by that point 1994 1997 right the air force they had nothing they didn't have any information somebody somebody in the air force you know obviously uh was embarrassed by all the the, the stories that were being told about what happened in the 40s and they felt like they needed to do something or who knows? Maybe the, the secret control group told the air ordered the, somebody somebody in the air force to do something to come up with some sort of an excuse to to make the media go away and make you know. I, but again, this is such an insult to intelligence. How can anybody believe any of this stuff that they're talking about here? Anyway, let's continue with this ridiculous uh, insult to intelligence. In 1956, 20th Century Fox released On the Threshold of Space a feature-length motion picture based on these projects and filmed on location at Holloman Air Force Base. Air Force personnel, aircraft, high-altitude balloons, and other equipment, including the actual anthropomorphic dummies, were used in the making of this film. The eyewitness reports of military units that always seemed to arrive shortly after the alleged crash of a flying saucer were actually accurate descriptions of Air Force personnel engaged in high-altitude balloon and anthropomorphic dummy recovery operations. Since 1947, Air Force atmospheric research organizations at Holloman Air Force Base, New Mexico, have launched and recovered approximately 2,500 high-altitude balloons, many in the same areas of New Mexico where the Roswell incident allegedly occurred. Okay, let's stop there for a second. So they recovered thousands of balloons during this time period in the 40s, early late 40s and, the, and early 50s, right? They thousands, but that one balloon, for some reason, everybody mistook it for a flying saucer from outer space with, with alien bodies from outer space. And somehow they, they confused all of it, right? Uh, the bodies with, with dummies that were dropped years later. And wait, before I continue here, this is actually from, this is a, uh, from the book itself, from the uh, Roswell Report case closed. I, I wanted to go through some of the, like in, in the back they have like a, uh, a table where they list, they, they, they provide uh, what, some, of the, what, some of the reports from different witnesses and like what the witness description and they, they give the Air Force response. Now listen to this. When... Uh, for instance, somebody says here uh, they didn't like one of the one of the one of the witnesses said uh, they didn't have a little finger. Like the report was, uh, you know, some of the witnesses that saw this, the bot, the aliens only had four fingers, and so their their explanation for this is. Uh, uh, laboratory the, the air force explanation for this is laboratories dummy that were reused many times were often damaged 
but remained in service. So basically, they're saying that the if 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 when these people saw a dummy. Uh, saw say, who say they saw an alien and only had four fingers? It was because it was really a dummy that was used uh, multiple times and some of its fingers broke off. You know, they, they only had four fingers, so yo, that means the fingers were broke off. Uh, somebody, another witness says uh, the beings uh, were three and a half to four feet tall. The Air Force explanation for that in this in the table is likely descri description of anthropomorphic dummies missing legs after they fall from an altitude. So, so the so the reason that these witnesses were saying that the the alien beings that were were seen there was because it was actually dummies, but the legs uh, broke off when they fell. So that's how they made the mistake. It's just unbelievable the the stuff they have here. Here's another uh, witness description says their skin coloration was a bluish tinted milky white. Oh, the Air Force explanation for this is it's a probable description of a Sierra sand dummy with pale white skin. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, here's another one. Their heads were hairless. A witness says their hairs were their heads were hairless. No eyebrows, no eyelashes, no hair. So they're basically describing these. You know these little beings with big heads right so the reason that according to the air force the reason that their heads were hairless with no eyebrows no eyelashes and no hair is because anthropomorphic dummies did not have hair yeah if you look at these pictures that they're showing in this film they, they show these dummies it has they have painted on the hairs painted on that there's like hair there it's like the 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 the, the mold is there on the top, top of the, some of these dummies heads and the hairs painted on it's absolutely absurd. They're, they're, they're like how how was anybody supposed to believe this? And they did. They did. It's over twenty five years ago now that this came out, and I knew it was ridiculous then. Okay, let's see what else they said. It says uh, one of the witnesses says no visible ears, just a rise there and then a hole. That was the description of one of the aliens. Here's the uh, the Air Force's uh, explanation. Dummies had ears that were molded to their heads with openings for placements of instruments. <laughs> uh, Let's see what else here. Uh, uh, its uniform was torn in a couple of spots. Their uniforms were in pretty sad shape. So somebody was talking about the uh, the, uh, the the uniforms that these aliens were were, were wearing. So so here's the uh, Air Force explanation. Dummy uniforms were often secondhand. Rips and other defects were common, but they remained in service. <laughs> And it, and it goes on like that. There's just a whole bunch of different things that they state about the uh, condition. But uh, <laughs> it's just so absurd. You see how, and yet, again, the press never questioned it. They just, you know, they published the story. There was articles in the New York Times at the time. There was reports on, you know, CNN. And, and they just went along with this, and they never questioned it. They never questioned it. I mean, they did bring people on TV at the time, from what I remember, that were com ufologists complaining about it, like Stanton Friedman saying that this is all bogus. But there was no, no, no major news outlet ever did anything because they never do. They never investigate UFOs. They never investigate the Pentagon's lies when it comes to this, right? They never do. Anyway, let's continue with this ridiculous movie. Personally, the equipment, vehicles, and procedures used by the Holloman Air Force Base Balloon Branch, the unit that conducted most of the launches, are the same as that described by the reputed witnesses who claimed they saw the recovery of the flying saucer and alien crew. These huge Air Force high-altitude balloons, launched by the Holloman Balloon Branch, carried aloft a wide range of sophisticated and from most perspectives, odd-looking devices. Much of this equipment was experimental and represented for that era the latest in space-age technologies. 
Payloads ranged from simple radio transmitters to sophisticated satellite components and NASA space probes. In fact, qualification trials for the NASA Voyager Mars and Viking space probes were flown by Air Force high-altitude balloons during the late 1960s and early 1970s. Okay, let's stop there. Now they're showing these 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 probes that NASA used in in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Some of them are disc shaped and they're dropping them from high altitudes and there's stuff inside them and uh, you know electronic equipment and things like that. Things that's identifiable. Things that people aren't going to mistake you know for uh, something from out of this world. You know unless you're really dumb. But but here's the thing. This is later. I, this is years later. They're talking. This is stuff from years later. So, so the witnesses are. Or now you're talking before. It's from. from you're, 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 they were trying to say that the witnesses had made a mistake uh, uh, with the with the with the alien body, saying that they that they were actually dummies that were dropped from the sky from high altitudes from 1953 and 19 to, to 1959. Right? They're sort of saying they were off in their years. They were at least six years off. You know, with that. And now there's now now getting, we're getting in the 20 year the 20 year 20 years plus range here so it's absolutely ridiculous the, the air force never provided any sort of proof to back up any of their claims again all the records were destroyed for some mysterious reason that's a uh and then b you know you have all these witnesses on the other side telling telling a different story but yet we, we're still not being told the truth it's still being withheld anyway we're, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back Okay, we are back, and we are going to continue with this ridiculous film. And they're talking about again. They're talking about the. They're talking about the stuff stuff that was dropped over twenty the, things that were dropped from high altitudes equipment. You know, that was dropped from high altitudes to, oh, twenty years or plus later after after the Roswell incident that people might have made a uh, a mistake about. What well, has nothing to do with Roswell? Because they again, the Air Force has no; they have nothing. They have no; they don't even have any records to to look at, to prove their case, to prove their mogul case. They have nothing, absolutely nothing. They have nothing to prove their mogul case with the balloons, right? They have nothing to prove their the, the anthropomorphic dummy stuff. That's actually ridiculous. That again, that was just something that this uh, McAndrew made up. You know, he had to come up with something. He was actually ordered to come up with an excuse for alien bodies. So he, you know, brainstormed and he come up with the uh, how about anthropomorphic dummies that we dropped uh, ten years later, ten, ten years after the event? We'll just say that these people are really stupid, right? We'll just tell everyone that they're really dumb and they just mistook they saw dummies like in 1956 or something. It really wasn't 19. 47 and they just got their their times mixed up these people we'll just say everybody all these roswell incidents uh roswell witnesses are a bunch of stupid morons we'll just tell the press that and they'll they'll buy it because they always do they listen to everything we say and guess what it worked anyway let's continue ironically these balloons were launched from the former roswell army airfield site of the originally alleged 1947 incident and recovered on the White Sands Missile Range over 100 miles to the west.
Recovering the balloon payloads was essential for accomplishing the scientific objectives of the High Altitude Balloon Program. The primary high altitude balloon recovery areas were and still are located at predetermined sites throughout Arizona, West Texas, and New Mexico, including the area surrounding Roswell. To retrieve the equipment many miles from Holloman Air Force Base, recovery personnel operated a variety of aircraft and vehicles. The exact vehicles described by the witnesses as having been present at the crashed flying saucer sites. To expedite these operations, the recovery crews tracked the balloons optically, electronically, and from aircraft which directed ground vehicles to the impact areas. In balloons, the they're showing nonsense here and it means nothing. allegations asserted that military personnel who retrieved equipment from rural areas of New Mexico intimidated and threatened civilians on the scene. On the contrary, balloon branch personnel enjoyed good relations with the local community and often solicited their assistance following a balloon or payload landing. In the course of their activities, recovery personnel rented or borrowed tractors, bulldozers, snowmobiles, and even pack mules from local residents. Okay, so let's stop there. So they're showing like, you know, when 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 they drop stuff from the sky, the local residents they they had a good relationship with with uh, with the balloon recovery teams, right? Okay, then then so they don't again. There's there's they're not offering any anything to back up what they're trying to say that happened in Roswell. There's no just because okay, yeah, I'm sure balloon uh, recovery teams had good relations with civilians. Why wouldn't they, right? They're balloon recovery teams. So to, so they go to a well, an area and and some and some, uh, and some uh, where they drop some some materials from from a high altitude and they go and they they go pick it up and, and it's so big no big deal, right? Because it's only balloons. But for whatever reason in Roswell, there were people that said they were threatened. So they're just saying, oh, that never happens. That just never happens. Well, but, but they have all these witnesses that said it happened. They said they were threatened. There's a whole bunch of them. It's not just one or two. It's like a whole bunch of them that said this. They were threatened, right? So again, the Air Force has no proof. They just said, yeah, balloon recovery teams, they're, they're all nice. We all, they, all, they all got along. So we don't know what they're talking about. That, that, that's not, that doesn't prove anything. Yeah, there's more proof that that they were being that civilians in the Roswell area that were witnesses that this were being threatened than 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 they were not because th why would anybody say that if it wasn't true all these people why would they say that if it wasn't true and then all the Air Force's excuse here in 1997 is all these balloon recovery team experts uh, they they had a good relationship with with uh, civilians oh jump I'm sure they did why wouldn't they because they're just balloon recovery teams. This was not because this, what happened at Roswell in 1947, it was not a balloon. It was some kind of a flying saucer that had beings that weren't humans on it. Again, it's, it's just so absurd. It's just this whole thing is such an insult to intelligence. Anyway, let's continue with this ridiculous film. The payloads, parachutes, balloons, and circling chase aircraft often draw crowds of curious onlookers from the local community. In fact, so many civilians are often present at balloon or payload landing sites, the scenes were once described by balloon branch personnel as being like the circus coming to town. Oh, 
okay. It's like the circus coming to town, right? <laughs> nobody's, nobody's, uh, you know, why would anybody need to be threatened if, if it's only balloons? So nobody was threatened. It was like the circus coming to town. Everyone got along with, you know, with, with each other. This is unbelievable. It's unbelievable that, that this is this is the lie we're living under. I mean, there's a lot of people out there. There's a you'll find a lot of YouTube videos out there of of people who retell the Roswell story, but it's always the skeptical version, the the Air Force side of the story. That it was just a balloon, and they all made a mistake. It's so wrong. It's such a lie. The Air Force they lied about. They made this terrible excuse whatever for whatever reason i guess to cover their butts because they didn't like the way they were being portrayed in a lot of documentaries and books you know uh, throughout the 80s into the 90s so they come up with this nonsense you know to fool the american people to fool the world to fool everyone to fool the mainstream media the mainstream media what a bunch of dunces anyway let's continue here's what it looked like this afternoon floating from east to west over town okay just so right now, so they're showing a balloon floating through the sky. It's an obvious big balloon floating through the sky, and it has a payload on it. And this is a news report from Phoenix, Arizona, in 1985 that they're showing. And uh, people at the time, obviously, maybe they were wondering what it was. It's just a balloon with a payload. So the Air Force is showing this in this little documentary to show, oh, people see, see how easy people make a mistake. They're, they they just didn't know what it was. They didn't think it was a flying saucer from outer space. It's obviously a balloon. Anyway, just look at this. It was this. way up there, all right. Some 25 miles over our heads, the Air Force later told me. The giant helium-filled balloon eventually collapsed, falling to Earth like a thousand pounds of cellophane, landing on the Gila Indian Reservation southwest of Phoenix. A short while later, we spotted this, a large parachute, perhaps 100 feet across. Dangling beneath it was some sort of a silver box that made a rather hard landing. This is what had been attached to that balloon we would later find out. There were no markings on it. No way at all of telling what it was. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a, uh, a obvious man-made contraption of metal and equipment and electronic equipment. That, you know, a, 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 a containing... Junk. I mean, anybody who would see this would know that this is just man-made. I mean, it's not like how could anybody mistake something like this? This is not what people like Jesse Marcel was talking about, right? This is not people. The people who saw the people, the actual witnesses to the Roswell event, weren't talking about things like this. You know, a, a payload with a, a metal box filled with equipment and and other objects. It's just nonsense. It's all nonsense. The Air Force. They had no. They really had. Again, what they come out with this these books. This 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 uh, propaganda film right it's just a it's such a giant joke it's incredible anyway let's continue then the air force pulled up excuse me we don't mean to be too nosy but about a million people in phoenix are dying to know <laughs> what is it what is it yeah <laughs> this is a scientific payload that was launched from mahalaman air force base in new mexico how, how far are we about 400 miles okay it went up to approximately 125,000 feet in the air uh carried aloft by an 11 million cubic foot balloon. So there you have it, an Air Force experiment to gather information on gases in the upper atmosphere. Thank goodness it was one of ours. Len Clements, New Center 10. In addition to high altitude balloons, the Holloman Balloon Branch also launched low altitude tethered balloons. These tethered obvious, balloons may have inspired balloons. one account of an alien craft, associated with the Roswell incident. In a popular book, 
the authors present a drawing of a crashed spaceship allegedly given to them by an anonymous witness. When this drawing is compared to a photograph of an experimental tethered balloon flown at Holloman Air Force Base in March 1965... Okay, again, let's stop there. Okay, 1965, there's a difference here. 1947, 1965. 1947, 19... To me, let me do my math, that's 18 years. We're talking about a difference here of of, uh, 18 years, okay? And okay, this object, this balloon that they show that they show floating around, it looks like a, like a triangle, right? Again, that's not what they're talking about in 1947. For one thing, most of the witnesses that saw a craft, right, and that was most of the wit, no, first and second hand witnesses that saw the crashed craft, the bigger piece, the piece that crashed near, uh, close to Roswell, just north of Roswell, about 40 miles north of Roswell, most of those witnesses said this thing was saucer shaped. So the one drawing that was in this book, uh, the truth about the UFO crash in Roswell, which was from uh, one of the witnesses, was a tri- similar, like almost like a triangular type thing. And they're they're trying to say that this was actually in 1965. They were sending up balloons that were triangular shaped. So that's where the this person made a mistake between the between. That's what the, what they really saw. But we're talking again. We're talking about 1947 here. That's a difference of 18 years. Anyway, continuing are undeniable. The redheaded captain was probably Captain Joseph W. Kittinger Jr. Captain Kittinger served as again. Let's stop there. Just now saying that the redheaded captain that was screaming at people and threatening them in Roswell in 1947 was probably this uh, Kittinger guy. Okay, they have no proof. They have nothing to back it up. They don't have. They didn't have anybody. There's no evidence to this whatsoever. None. None. They're just again. They're making stuff. They're making it up on the go. They're just making whatever they. They're saying whatever they can just to try to make people and the press believe that nothing happened in Roswell in 1947. It was just this uh, a secret balloon. The project officer or pilot and all three of the Air Force's manned high-altitude balloon projects: Man High, Excelsior, and Stargazer. Captain Kinniger was present at many balloon and dummy launch and recovery sites throughout the southwest United States during the 1950s and early 1960s. However, other than the allegations made by UFO proponents, there is no evidence of any kind that Kinniger confronted or threatened civilians. Okay, let's stop there. There's no evidence of any kind that he didn't. There's no, there's no evidence. For one thing, we don't even know if this was the guy that was threatening people. They're just saying that it was probably Kittinger, right? Now, these people, there was de- multiple witnesses who said this redheaded captain was screaming at them, threatening them, right? But they're saying there's no evidence that he did. Well, there's no evidence that he didn't either then, right? There's no evidence then, right? At all. Why even talk about it? All right, let's go. We'll continue. Colonel Kittinger's achievements as an Air Force test pilot are legendary. He has the standing world record parachute jump from nearly 20 miles. Okay, there's a lot of people who, who have legendary records. Doesn't make them, you know, uh, perfect citizens or, or perfect military personnel. That, that doesn't mean anything. What does that mean? I mean, how, how many people do you do have we seen throughout our your, your life, right? Who you think is great, and then you fight, they they do something absolutely horrible, right? And then you don't think they're great anymore. That that has nothing to do. The achievements of somebody has nothing to do with any with any of this stuff. It's look at the tricks they're playing here in this in this propaganda film. 
And people, again, the press never questioned it. And they still don't question it. They don't even, um, who knows if the press even paid attention to this film back then. Did they even read the report back then? They just they probably just read the, the, the one-page release that talked about dummies and nonsense. Later, he went on to serve three combat tours in Southeast Asia and is credited with an aerial victory while engaged in combat over North Vietnam. Okay, fantastic. Again, what does that have to do with anything else? It has nothing to do with this. That has nothing to do with anything. After over 480 combat missions, Colonel Kittinger was shot down over North Vietnam and spent 10 months as a prisoner of war in the infamous Hanoi Hilton before being repatriated in March 1973. Colonel Kittinger made history again after retiring from the Air Force. In 1984, he accomplished the first solo crossing of the Atlantic by balloon. Okay, let me just stop there for a second. Again, what does this have to do with Roswell incident? Okay, they, for one thing, they don't know if if, if, if it was him who, that people were talking about. That's A, we, nobody knows that. It has nothing to do with this. They, they don't have any evidence, for one thing, that it was Kittinger. They're just saying, they're just, oh, he had red hair, so maybe it was him. Uh, the, uh, maybe he was in Roswell in that time. I don't know. Yeah, but he's a hero. See, he's a hero. But see, none of that has anything to do with this, what we're talking about here. Um, okay, he's a war hero. That's that's great. But it has nothing to do with the Roswell incident. It has, again, they're just, it, it, this is obfuscation. This is like basically, here, see the shiny object, you morons? See the shiny object? This guy's a hero. Hey, because of this guy's a hero, then the Roswell didn't happen. Like, what is this supposed to mean? It's It's so idiotic. Think about it. Isn't this an insult to your intelligence? It is to mine. It's always been. For all these years, ever since I saw this, this since this book came out and, and this whole story with the dummies and the uh, the red the, their, their explanation with the red-haired captain, all of this stuff, um, it's it's like it's like right in front of your face, the, the lies and the and the stupidity, but yet nobody's a lot of people just don't see it. And we, st I mean, we should be talking about this. We, now that they're starting to come clean, we sh people should start demanding what the hell's going on. What happened with Roswell? We want to know more about it. All right, let's continue with this stupid movie. I think we'll just, it's almost over. The final and most disturbing conclusion of the second Roswell report is the apparent exploitation of Air Force members killed or injured in the line of duty to perpetuate. Okay, let's stop that now. See, now again, they're trying to take your mind off the ball here. They're trying to say, no, uh, this is, they're trying to, this is all made up. They're saying that the these people, these investigators are, are exploiting people who are injured or killed. This is absolutely absurd. This is not what people were talking about. They were talking about be beings from another world. That's what they were talking about. So apparently, you know, most of the stories, you know, most of the, uh, 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 re recollections are that there were three dead ones and one was still alive it, this is unbelievable they're trying to again they're trying to draw your attention away yeah they exploited the dead it had nothing to do with soldiers this had nothing to do with soldiers we're talking about beings from another world well let's see let's see what they have to say here to wait the alleged sightings of alien bodies claims of bodies at the roswell army airfield hospital were likely a combination of several aircraft accidents and an unusual manned balloon mishap. One aircraft accident occurred on June 26, 1956. 
He left. Okay, let's stop that right there. Again, we're talking about again 56. That's nine years after the event. All these things are what are we time traveling? It's unbelievable that they're trying to pass this off as reality. That this is complete absolute fiction. What they're what they're everything they're telling here. Oh, everything they're talking about is a lie. Everything. I mean, of course, yeah, okay, they sent up mogul balloons, right? But none of that stuff had anything to do with the Roswell incident. Everything they're talking about here is lies. It's just, it's so, it's, again, my intelligence is so insulted with this. Continuing. 11 Air Force members died when their fully loaded KC-97 tanker aircraft experienced a propeller failure four and a half minutes after takeoff. The crash site was approximately nine miles south of the former Roswell Army Airfield, renamed Walker Air Force Base in 1948. The badly burned bodies of the 11 crewmen were identified and processed at the Walker Air Force Base Hospital. The alleged... Okay, let's, so, let's, so, so basically what they're trying to say here is that uh, people said... They're trying to say that, again, people in the Roswell area... people If you're living in Roswell, you should be really upset because they think you're a bunch of idiots there. You're really dumb. Uh, that's what that's what the Air Force is trying to tell you that that some people saw these burned people, burned service members who were injured in this crash or killed, and and they mistook them for alien bodies. That in a crash that happened nine years later, a, a, a crash of human of a human made uh, craft. It's unbelievable that they're trying to, that they pawn this off. And it's unbelievable that no nobody from the mainstream press 25, 26 years ago now question this and they still don't question it they again it's unbelievable think about what they're saying here claims of bodies at the base hospital can be traced to a single witness whose descriptions closely match the condition and the circumstances under which these victims were identified furthermore claims of bodies attributed to specific air force personnel are unsubstantiated some of these individuals were not even present at roswell army airfield in July 1947. <laughs> well, there you go. You just admitted it. There's some of the people weren't even there at the Roswell in 1940. This is unbelievable. They they just put this out though. They, they could Air Force could say could have said anything back then, and the press would just walk away with it. It's like we're we're living in some like it's, we're just uh, refusing to accept reality we're in like there's many of us are, are in denial we just don't want to accept this reality the air force throws out this this stink bomb it's a total stink bomb fiction stink bomb one of the worst stink bombs i've ever seen as an ex as a as a, as a for, as for a cover-up i've ever seen it's the worst one this has to be one of the worst cover-up explanations uh ever i mean there's nothing compares to this whole dummy and the and and people getting mistake mistaking uh uh people who were injured in crashes as as aliens it's just unbelievable that they're trying to do this anyway let's continue the balloon mishap occurred during a low-level training mission for backup pilots in the project excelsior high altitude man balloon program this unusual accident occurred approximately 10 miles northwest of Walker Air Force Base on May 21st, 1959. One of the three... Crewmen, okay, again, now we're, now we're up to 1959, 12 years after the events, a balloon mishap. They're, we're we're going to... They're trying to say that there's people mistook... A, a people were killed in a balloon mishap in 1959 or injured in a balloon mishap... Excuse me, killed in 1959 in a balloon mishap as... Uh, people mistook that for alien bodies somehow it's unbelievable that they're trying to pass this off as an explanation it's incredible captain dan d fulgham now a retired colonel 
was injured during landing. Okay, this guy was injured during landing, and they show Following his face mishap, here, and it's all swollen. Captain Fulgham and the other balloon crew members were transported to the Walker Air Force Base Hospital via a chase helicopter that followed the training mission for emergency purposes. Okay, these guys were they weren't killed, they were injured. Okay, but but so they're saying but again, it's twelve years after the fact, and they're saying that oh people mistook these for uh, re researchers, people who looked into this and interviewed people are exploiting uh, injuries that happened to people in 1959, 12 years after the event. When that's not what we're talking about here. These people that were witnesses were talking about things that happened in 1947 that did not involve things like this. How could anybody make this kind of mistake? It's like it's unbelievable. It's like acting like everyone in this world is completely stupid. That I mean, it's just unbelievable that this that they tried to pawn this off to the American public. And guess what? It worked. Again, we're still living under this fantasy for the most part. Most people are. Upon arrival at the highly secure Strategic Air Command base, the balloon crew was met by armed Air Force security personnel who remained with the crew until their identities were confirmed. Okay, now let's stop there for a second. Now, a lot of the people uh, that were witnesses were actually military personnel. So, so is the Air Force saying that military personnel uh, that were stationed at Walker Air Base in 1959, uh, the former Roswell Air, Airfield, right, in 1959, were, were stationed there uh, guarding it. And, and so some of these people saw these injured soldiers being brought in and they mistook them for alien bodies. And then somehow, when uh, the Roswell story broke in the late 70s, they, they, their memories, hey, I remember that. Now there was, uh, I remember uh, alien, that, I guess those guys that they were bringing in were actually alien bodies. No, no. That's not what's, that, that's, there's nobody's that stupid. They, they would have known what was going on. There would have been no cover-up at the time regarding something like that. Nobody would have been threatened over, hey, don't say nothing about those injured uh, soldiers. Don't say nothing. It's unbelievable that they, again, it's unbelievable that, that they tried to pawn this off to the American public. As the Excelsior project officer and instructor pilot for this mission, the red-headed Captain Kittinger accompanied the balloon crew to the hospital. Oh, here we go. Kittinger again. Kittinger again. Now, he was there at this scene, I guess. He was accompanied. So I guess when, uh, uh, again, I, it, it doesn't make any sense. But it does because, the, again, the Air Force can say anything and the media will just, yeah, whatever, okay. Uh, we, we, won't, we, we, we won't question it. We won't investigate. We, we're not going to say that it's absurd when it really is. At the Walker Air Force Base Hospital, Kinniger and Fulgham were apparently observed by individuals who later related this unusual incident. Elements of this actual event now appear to be part of the Roswell story. Captain Fulgham was treated for an injury that caused his head to swell beyond its normal size. The injury, described as a traumatic hematoma, was not serious. On a specially arranged flight several days after the accident, Fulgham returned to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Ohio, where he made a complete recovery. Okay, you know, when I was a kid, I got, I got hit in the head with a stick. Right, uh, some other kids, some bad kids, start throwing rocks at and, and sticks at me and my one buddy down at a park, and one of the sticks hit me in the eye, and my my face looked like that too. Right, and, <laughs> nobody mistakes a a, a a a black eye, a swollen eye, for an alien being. I mean, what what are they trying to say here? This is unreal that they think that people are so stupid that they're mistaken people who were injured uh, in a balloon mishap uh, for alien beings. It's absolutely absurd. All right, let's finish 
finish this off. I think it's almost done here. Yeah. Fulgham went on to distinguish himself as a test parachutist and physiologist for the space program. He later flew F-4s in Southeast Asia, adding to his combat record as a fighter pilot during the Korean War. When critically examined, the Roswell incident is exposed as a conglomeration of many events, including aircraft accidents, that occurred over several decades. Misidentification of anthropomorphic dummies and experimental balloon launch devices combined with Air Force balloon operations portrayed as mysterious flying saucer and alien recovery teams transformed verifiable events into what is now known as the Roswell incident. The U.S. Air Force and its predecessors have been the unsurpassed innovators in aerospace technology. Legendary Air Force leaders throughout this century have used technological advances to establish the U.S. Air Force as a premier military service. The facts presented in the reports examining the so-called Roswell incident did not reveal it to be a dark secret or government cover-up as persons unacquainted with Air Force technologies proclaim. Instead, these studies identified a collection of events that exemplified the technological leadership, dedication to duty, and continuing noble sacrifices of the men and women of the United States Air Force. All right, all right, party's over with that. Okay, this is, as you can see, this is completely absurd. The Air Force, you know, unbelievable that they would put something like that out. And it's unbelievable that the mainstream media never really did anything about it. And still, to this day, after all these years, I mean, how could this stink bomb go, go past, go by without any sort of uh, investigation by a major uh, media outlet? I mean, it's un beyond absurd. It's beyond, it's unbelievable, actually. You know, I, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, people get sick of Roswell. I think it's one of the most important events of all time with regard to the uh, UFO phenomenon. Because, I mean, we, we could have, this this whole thing, if if the truth, if they just would have went with the truth right when it happened, things would be different now. We would have, everyone would we'd be living life. It would, nothing probably would have changed except for the fact that our scientific community would have known what's going on. We could have been trying to figure out what these beings are up to, you know, publicly. We would have information shown to us publicly. You know, people wouldn't be freaked out anymore. I'm sure people would be, you know, are going to be freaked out no matter what once the truth finally does drop from whoever, whichever official finally steps up to a podium and tells us about it. But the, the Air Force has been lying about this, uh, you know, and and so there's so many things that they have done wrong with this over the years. I mean, there was this uh, the the one guy that worked on Project Mogul was a guy named Charles, uh, or excuse me, uh, what was his name here? Moore. Charles B. Moore, yeah. Charles B. Moore, the man, and this is again, this is from uh, Roswell, the ultimate cold case closed by Donald Schmidt and Thomas Carey. This is uh, from page 148. And uh, I just want to read a little bit of this so you can see what they're taught, what they say about this guy, and 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 what he, what he, this, basically the Air Force came to him in the in the 90s, and they needed they needed somebody that was connected with Mogul to make some statements. So he finagled some, he obviously finagled some of the uh, 
some of the data to try to uh, shoehorn uh, a mogul explanation in th to fit in with Roswell somehow. But anyway, here's from page 148 into page 151. I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs here from this. It says, The man in charge of the mogul project in 1947 had the following to say about any form of balloon being responsible for the Roswell debris field. There wasn't a balloon in use back in 1947, or even today for that matter, that could have produced debris over such a large area or torn up the ground in any way. I have no idea what such an object might have been, but I can't believe a balloon would, a balloon would fit such a de description. That was the first time that meteorological Physicist Charles B. Moore was asked to comment on the newly discovered data by investigator William Moore in 1979. But 25 years later, the former mogul engineer had a much higher calling. The Air Force needed their own authority to, invoice, uh, to endorse their new theory. Uh, Moore had originally been recruit, recruited by the Army Air Corps from his meteorological training school and was assigned to the New York University Constant Altitude Balloon Project. This is where Project Mogul was born, and under the supervision of Dr. James Peoples and assisted by Dr. Albert P. Crary, Moore engineered pressure sensors controlling the release of ballast in large clusters of neoprene balloons to maintain a relatively constant altitude, all of which was necessary for Mogul to be successful. Still, the hypothesis looked good on paper. The balloon trains would reach the required height, albeit short-lived, and then quick, and then would quickly descend to the ground below. Moore would start to launch the Mogul devices from Alamogordo, New Mexico, about 100 miles south of the Foster Ranch, beginning in June 1947. Nevertheless, in 1993, the Air Force needed Moore to put such a balloon where they needed it most, not at a predetermined altitude as was designed, but on the ground, untracked and lost, only to be, only to be discovered by some hick cowboy and then later misidentified by a bunch of keystone cops over at roswell who just happened to be in charge of the bomb whatever it takes dr moore put it on the foster ranch the trick was to establish the targeted crash site from the point of the launch and reconfigure the wind directions in the upper atmosphere the jet stream then pilot a trajectory based on one specific mobile launch Flight number four. Aerologist Moore was once again getting his marching orders from the Air Force and without uh, re reservation. He complied. Based on total assumption and completely falsified data supplanted from other flights, Moore concocted weather wind charts that could potentially put flight number four near the Foster Ranch. The greater obstacle to overcome was that, according to the diary of Dr. Crary, the project leader, launch number four was comprised of only a cluster of rubber balloons and a sonobuoy sono microphone, but was totally absent any array trains. No reflective foil kites that the Air Force would have us believe confused the Roswell personnel into concluding that it was pieces of a flying saucer. And to further discredit Moore's claims in support of the Air Force's mogul report, there remains absolutely no flight data for number four. There is no launch time indicated, no ground trajectory, and no recovery site specified. The only documentation still available in Crary's log entry, which read as follows. January, June 4th, Wednesday, out to Tularosa range and fired, charge, uh, fired charges between... 0 and 6 00 and 06 the a.m. No mogul balloon flights again on accounts of clouds. Flew regular sono boy up in in cluster of balloons 
in cluster of balloons and had good luck on receiver on ground but poor on plane. Out with Thompson PM shot changes from 1800 to 2400. And what this means is the launch site in Alamogordo was 85 miles from the Foster Ranch and Moore had to create a flight course to fit on the Air Force's model, fill in the gap with no duration time, no ground observation, and no recovery. In other words, falsify the data. It was standard practice in 1947, as it still is today, that when balloons are released into the atmosphere with special equipment in need of outside retrieval, they carry special identification tags, not only offering a small reward, but also return instructions and handling warnings if necessary. The mogul balloons carried multiple identification tags, yet not one was ever recovered at the field location even if we are to believe the unbelievable any one of these tags would have re re revealed to marcel or any of the other people right that investigated this and hundreds of other servicemen at roswell that it was simply a balloon the balloon and train pictured in general ramey's office identified to the press as the very balloon recovered from the foster ranch is not a mogul balloon the cellophane tape used to assemble the foil kites with cutesy floral designs that more claimed were misidentified by the witnesses as strange hieroglyphic like symbology on the true wreckage was said to be manufactured by a toy store called Merrick in New York City no such company existed in 1947 okay so I'm, I'm gonna end it right there again this this book is so awesome I, I highly recommend it if you're interested in the Roswell situation or Roswell incident but you know the other thing this book has there's a lot of different witnesses that they talk about there were a lot of deathbed confessions there was this one guy uh marion magruder he was a lieutenant colonel uh with the army air forces back then or actually in the in the air force uh and in this and, and according to this book on page 197 in the summer of 1947 uh marion magruder uh, was in the class at the Air War College at Maxwell Field in Montgomery, Alabama. The offices, the officers chosen for the class were deemed to represent the best and brightest in their respective branches of the military, as well as future leaders heading into the post-war era. Magruder's class at the Air War College was scheduled to last approximately one year, from late July 1947 to early June 1948. The officers were to receive advanced training in military history, decision-making, and geopolitical strategy. In early 1948, all the class members were flown up to Wright Air Force Base, the new U.S. Air Force designation in Dayton, Ohio. Their opinion was desired on a matter of utmost urgency and importance. Not knowing what to expect, the curious officers were led into a room where they were told about the recovery to Wright Field the previous summer of an extraterrestrial spaceship ship that had crashed near the town of Roswell, New Mexico. Most of the officers had not been aware of the crash and were startled when some strange wreckage they could not identify was brought out for them to examine. The real shocker, however, was yet to come. After everyone had a chance to examine and handle the wreckage, they were taken into another room. There, they were shown something that would haunt Marion Magruder for the rest of his life. While lying on his deathbed almost 50 years later, Black Mac recalled again his brief encounter with the live alien he had witnessed that one time at Wright Air Force Base with his Air War College class. The class had been told that it was a survivor from the Roswell crash. Magruder's son Mike had heard the story before, but this telling was meant for his granddaughter, Natalie, who was there with her father. 
He told her that the creature which he described as being squiggly was under five feet tall, human-like but with longer arms, larger eyes, and an oversized hairless head for its small frame. Its other features, as described by Magruder, were similar to the descriptions of others over the years who have claimed to have seen the Roswell aliens. A slit for a mouth, no nose or ears, just small orifices. In his mind, Magruder emphasized the human-like qualities of the small, childlike creature, but he told his granddaughter that there was no question that it came from another planet. According to Mike Magruder, his father later learned that the military had been conducting experiments on the aliens he saw, but it had died in the process. It was alive, but we killed it. So there you go. I mean, that's just one of many different deathbed confessions uh, of, of different th that people made. And, and one of the most famous ones was from Walter Hout. Uh, Walter Hout was the uh, the communications officer at Roswell in 1947, uh, and he was told, uh, he was the one who put out the press release, the initial press release, that they had captured a, a, a flying disc, and he did. And and in 2002, three years before he died, he signed a, a, an affidavit that was sealed and it wasn't going to be to be opened upon his death in the presence of different people, right? And uh, And he signed this affidavit, and he told what he knew, Right, and this is what uh, we'll go through the affidavit right now. Here is the sealed affidavit of Walter G. Hout. My name is Walter G. Hout. I was born on June 2nd, 1922. My address is 1405 West 7th Street, Roswell, New Mexico. I am retired. In July 1947, I was stationed at the Roswell Army Air Base in Roswell, New Mexico, serving as the base public information officer. I had spent the 4th of July weekend, Saturday the 5th and Sunday the 6th, at my private residence about 10 miles north of the base, which was located south of town. I was aware that someone had reported the remains of a downed vehicle by mid-morning after my return to duty at the base on Monday, July 7th. I was aware that Major Jesse A. Marcel, head of intelligence, was sent by the base commander, Colonel William Blanchard, to investigate. By late in the afternoon that same day, I would learn that additional civilian reports came in regarding a second site just north of Roswell. I would spend the better part of the day attending to my regular duties, hearing little, if anything, more. On Tuesday morning, July 8th, I would attend the regular schedule, the regularly scheduled staff meeting at 7.30 a.m. Besides Blanchard, Marcel, C Counterintelligence Corps Captain Sheridan Cavett, Colonel James I. Hopkins, the operations officer, Lieutenant Colonel Ulysses Nero, the supply officer, and from Carswell Air Force Field in Fort Worth, Texas, Blanchard's boss, Brigadier General Ronald Roger Ramey, and his chief of staff, Colonel Thomas J. DeBose, were also in attendance. <clears throat> The main topic of discussion was reported by Marcel and Cavett regarding an extensive debris field in Lincoln County, approximately 75 miles northwest of Roswell. A preliminary briefing was provided by Blanchard about the second site approximately 40 miles north of town. Samples of wreckage were passed around a table. It was unlike any material I had or have ever seen in my life. Pieces which resembled metal foil, paper thin yet extremely strong, and pieces with unusual markings along their length 
were handled from man to man, each voicing their opinion. No one was able to identify the crash debris. One of the main concerns discussed at the meeting was whether we should go public or not with the discovery. General Ramey proposed a plan, which I believe originated from his bosses at the Pentagon. Attention needed to be diverted from the more important site north of town by acknowledging the other location. Too many civilians were already involved and the press already was informed. I was not completely informed how this would be accomplished. At approximately 9.30 a.m., Colonel Blanchard phoned my office and dictated the press release of having in our possession a flying disc coming from a ranch northwest of Roswell and Marcel flying the material to higher headquarters. I was to deliver the news release to radio stations KGFL and KSWS and newspapers The Daily Record and The Morning Dispatch. By the time the news release hit the wire services, my office was inundated with phone calls from around the world. Messages stacked up on my desk and rather than deal with the media concern, Colonel Blanchard suggested that I go home and hide out. Before leaving the base, Colonel Blanchard took me personally to Building 84, a.k.a. Hangar P3, a B-29 hangar located on the east side of the tarmac. Upon first approaching the building, I observed that it was under heavy guard, both outside and inside. Once inside, I was permitted from a safe distance to first observe the object just recovered north of town. It was approximately 12 to 15 feet in length, not quite as wide, about 6 feet high, and more of an egg shape. Lighting was poor, but its surface did appear metallic. No windows, portholes, wings, tail section, or landing gear were visible. Also from a distance, I was able to see a couple of bodies under a canvas tarpaulin. Only the heads extended beyond the covering, and I was not able to make out any features. The heads did appear larger than normal, and the contour of the canvas suggested the size of a 10-year-old child. At a later date in Blanchard's office, he would extend his arm about four feet above the floor to indicate the height. I was informed of a temporary morgue set up to accommodate the recovered bodies. I was informed that the wreckage was not radioactive. Upon his return from Fort Worth, Major Marcel described to me taking pieces of the wreckage to General Ramey's office and after returning from a map room, finding the remains of a weather balloon and radar kite substituted while he was out of the room. Marcel was very upset over this situation. We would not discuss it again. I would be allowed to make at least one visit to one of the recovery sites during the military cleanup. I would return to the base with some of the wreckage which I would display in my office. I was aware two separate teams would return to each site months later for periodic searches for any remaining evidence. I am convinced that what I personally observed was some type of craft and its crew from outer space. I have not been paid nor given anything of value to make, to make this statement, and it is true to the best of my recollection. Signed, Walter G. Hout, December 26, 2002. So there you go. That's Walter Hout. There you go. He saw the material. He saw the bodies. He knew it. He knew it. And this is just one of many witnesses. He was just one of many witnesses. He he didn't want to uh, reveal that. He like he would talk. To, he he would say during his lifetime, like in different interviews, that there was a cover up and stuff. But he never got into it. Uh, and then 
you know, he wanted to he wanted to tell the world what he knew, and but he he wanted to wait till he till after he passed on, and he and he was of sound mind, or he was examined by doctors before he signed this statement. And you can see the statement; he knows what he knew what he was talking about. Of course, debunkers don't want to believe it. I mean, even that would that would pass in court. He signed this affidavit. I mean, that would be that would serve as evidence. And all these deathbed confessions that you could find in the, this book that I keep talking about, Roswell: The Ultimate Cold Case Closed. There's just so much evidence uh, against the Air Force's explanation. It, it doesn't make any sense. But this, like again, that film is is it, to me, it's an insult to intelligence, an absolute insult to intelligence. Anyway. Uh, Thanks a lot for uh, listening to me today. It was a pretty long show. And uh, and to uh, all my podcast listeners, uh, I want to say, you know, if you like my show and you enjoy what's, you know, you like what you're listening to, you, you like the subjects I talk about, uh, the, you know, if you're on Spotify, I would appreciate if you would, uh, you know, g- g- uh, give me a favorable vote. Uh, there are people who don't like my show, obviously. I, I you know, <laughs> some of the things I say on here, I'm obviously I'm getting some people angry, uh, and uh, so they downvote me. They they give me bad uh, votes, even though every, every single day I keep gaining in followers I, on Spotify alone. I'm at over 2,300 followers right now, and uh, and it, every day it gets bigger and bigger. And I really appreciate that, and I I, I thank everyone for. Uh, you know, following me on Spotify, but I would appreciate it also if uh, if uh, if you like what I'm doing and you like this kind of stuff I'm doing. I don't ask for a lot. I'm not some guy out here, you know, hey, give me money or anything like that. I don't do that kind of stuff, do I? I just I just want to you know spread the message. I want people to wake up to the reality, and I'm just you know I, I I'm, I'm interested in this too, as you can tell. I'm very very interested in this. So if you like the show and you, and you enjoy it, please give me a a good vote on Spotify. I, I would appreciate it very much. So until next time.